M&K Talk YA now presents The Fates Divide, Part 2 of the Carve the Mark series by Veronica Roth. Starting. <laughs> uh, we forgot to talk about that. We talked about everything else except that. Uh, why, don't, why don't you introduce? Okay. Welcome back to M&K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our podcast where we talk all about young adult fiction. And this week we finished up the Carve the Mark series by Veronica Roth. We finished the second book in the series, uh, which is called The Fates Divide. <laughs> the Fates Divide. <laughs> it's easier because I use the actual book, so I see the title all the time. But you read this one on Kindle, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. I did. And it, my Kindle is not pulled up. And this has been an off week for us so far. <laughs> yeah. There's something, there's like a moon cycle or the current's off. I don't know. Uh, no blame. Mercury's in retrograde. <laughs> Hopefully the rest goes better. Okay. <laughs> it can only go uphill from here, right? So. That's very true. Um, okay, so what did we think about the last book in the series? Okay, so first I am... It's not that I wish there was a third book, but I actually feel like the stage was set in a more interesting way than the second then these two books kind of went. Like, I'm kind of more interested in this political dynamic between all the different planets and the, like planets that are siding with the oracles and those that aren't and how some of that stuff is going to play out. I think that was one of the more interesting things in this book was, you know, if people have your fates, who should know about it or how do how are you being manipulated by it and how does that fit? You know, I think that was kind of such an interesting idea and I was sort of hoping in the second book we'd see more of it actually play out. And instead mm-hmm. I feel like this was sort of an introduction to that and then it sort of ended with this big thing is coming but our people are happy. <laughs> Right. I agree. Um, it seemed to me like the end of the book was set up to introduce a sequel. And I kind of agree. I was excited to see some of this new stuff. And then I felt like none of it was fleshed out well. Mm-hmm. And so at the end, it was like, oh, we could go into privacy laws with your f- regarding your fate. Should we release them to the public or not? Like, who has the right to that information? And even some of the, like, relationship stuff I was more interested in, I feel like wasn't fully addressed either. Like, I wanted to see Akos and his mom or him and his brother kind Mm -hmm. of either reach some peace or have a final confrontation or something. And I sort of feel like some of that stuff was avoided or kind of glazed over at the end. And even even same with, like... Yes, Akos and Sierra, we see them one year later and they're happy together. And that one didn't disappoint me as much, but I sort of was like, they had all this drama and her leaving and they sort of had one conversation and then we just fast forward a year and everything's fine. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I felt a little bit gypped. I was let down, I have to say. I was underwhelmed and a little bit disappointed with how everything came together. Because it just seems like, I mean, we didn't really see what happened with Cece and Isaiah afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um Asia completely hit his storyline just completely ended like that didn't get wrapped up at all it was like okay I'll just go be an oracle at this temple and it's never really resolved he was such an interesting character and I thought there was so much more we could dive into what it meant to be both of these two very different people living in the same body and I mean I'm glad that they sort of figured it out like they at least addressed it at, at some point when um was that when Sierra was like, are you my brother mm-hmm. or something? And they had like kind of an interesting conversation there. But then it just kind of dropped off and then he disappeared. He pulled a, oh, what's his name? Cassius from Red Rising. He pulled a Cassius for a little bit and just disappeared. And I just, I felt in, in multiple ways, his relationship with most of the other characters, but even like my understanding of him and his, his comfort with him, like just nothing was really resolved. I'm very confused no. about who he even is still. And, like, I really expected there to be a part where Akos or Sira or someone would try to intervene and try to help him. And instead, they just kind of kept him at arm's length the entire time, didn't really engage with him. Like, nobody acknowledged that he had nothing to do with the way he turned out, really. Like, he was being manipulated the whole time. 
And no one tried yeah. to help him. And and you add in like the first book and a half for Akos is like for multiple years his whole goal was to try to save his brother. And then I feel like he just kind of gave, gave up. up on him. Yeah. And yeah. it was kind of sad. And I don't feel like he even tried to understand what was going on with him. And then even, again, this goes back to Sefi. Is that his mom's name? Sifa. Sifa. Yeah, they were, the mom and the brother were both oracles and, like, trying to understand each other. And I felt like they were two of the more interesting characters and they weren't given enough attention because I was very, I wanted to even see more of her kind of struggling with these two kids, if she loved both of them, if she really mm-hmm. thought she was doing the right thing. And I feel like she was such a kind of periphery character and we never really... It, like, touched on it, but it didn't go deep enough. Yeah, we, like, she's still emotionally completely unavailable to everyone. Yeah. Like, we have no idea what's going through her mind. Yeah. And how she felt about switching her daughter, which is a huge, a huge thing that she did. And she's, like, completely cold about it and doesn't offer up any explanation. Like, I, she was so inhuman to me, I guess. Yeah, but I also felt like the fact that she did so, like, I feel like switching your kids is crazy in a lot of ways but if you really thought that was the best thing for them then I feel like you might be a good mother but then just how she handled it after like just not seeing her struggle or come Mm -hmm. to terms or try to justify it or just without the additional detail it was like what the hell lady yeah yeah it's just like and and we never hear why why she did it like she said there was a whole reason that she did it like there was a dark path but we never learn what that path was that made her make this huge choice and again, it goes back to this. It's not quite everyone ended up happy in the end because a lot of people did die throughout this book. But for people who all had such dark futures and like 99.9% of situations, they ended up pretty happy at the end. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's very true. Well, I think it's because a lot of them like fulfilled their fates and had that kind of freedom. Yeah, well, even Sissy and her fate, or what, how do we say her name? Yep. She succumbed to the blade but she didn't, like, fully succumb Die. to it. So is her fate actually fulfilled or is she going to get stabbed again later? And Well, does it matter? Because it's just, like, if you think it's fulfilled, does that give you the freedom? Yeah. You know? It's kind of, like, all in your head. And I, it, it kind of um, made me think of when they went to the planet Other and they don't really buy into the whole Oracle thing and they want to know all the information. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it kind of made me think about the whole idea of a fate and what that can do to you. Um, because they were saying, like, one of the reasons they wanted more oversight over the oracles, and, and they kind of find the people who worship them a bit backwards, because they're like, we, we sh- it's almost like we deserve the right to make our own destinies. We don't, we don't want to have these fates hanging over us, forcing us to do things we might not normally do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they have the belief that, like, a person's importance and, and worth is determined by what they do, not, you know, what their fate is. And I think the idea of a fate, they put so much importance on it, and it kind of leads people to do, it manipulates people and transforms them and makes them do things that they might not otherwise do. Mm-hmm. And I thought that whole idea of, like, not buying into so much of the fates is actually a very healthy one. <laughs> Yeah, well, even if it's true, even if you can't escape your fate, like, to what extent does that mean, like, there's a million different ways you could end up at the same end goal. Yeah. But knowing what's coming or knowing, it, it is such a weird, di- that, and that's why I actually thought it was kind of more interesting to look at it on a bigger scale, to look at mm-hmm. what it means to either keep this information private or ex- or expose yep. it, or if you are exposing it, how it's used as a political tool. I kind of, I was, I like, really so. interested in some of those kind of conversations with those more political conversations where you're seeing planets who aren't even related to this civil war mm-hmm. t- trying to gain an advantage and I don't know I, th- I just thought I one thing I did like about this book was seeing more of this world I'm using in quotes because it's beyond the world the whole planet you uni- whatever this yeah, whole universe solar system. solar system um but I, I wanted more and even some of the things like even when they were bad guys I feel like they were actually kind I maybe this is a little bit not true but I feel like even when we ultimately killed Lazmat that was kind of a letdown I was sort of like it wasn't even that hard or I don't know I mean it was and that's probably not fair because we've had a lot of failed attempts before that mm-hmm. but I I sort of felt like it was not as dramatic as I was expecting it to be when it was just the two of them like in a room or in a yep. field or whatever together and then same with um what's his name asked who mm-hmm. or when like, he stabbed Cece yeah, and then 
she just like used her gift on him and he was like yep it was me and then he was just sent away like (laughs) i thought there would be more like back and forth or i don't know it just it just felt like in some ways i was expecting more from it i think me too and especially like um she bring the author brings up interesting points like she mentions at one point there's people called the sema and they're neither man nor woman and they use the they form when talking and i was like oh that's so interesting let's hear more of it and then it just never came back yeah and it seems like there wasn't a lot of closure to some of the the main conflicts like even the assembly leader like nothing happened with the assembly it wasn't like they took down a corrupt leader or anything it was just like no, things are just con- going to continue exactly how they were. It's just that sh- the Shotet are now recognized as a nation. Well, and they were trying to manipulate them to get rid of the Shotet completely, and then they did find a peace. Yeah. It did feel like the stakes were raising, and then they kind of went away. And even yeah. and some of the other characters, like I, who was, I forget his name now, the guy who gave Akos the knife and lied about what he saw in his oh, heart. Like, yeah. I thought, I wanted to know more about that guy and why he ended up siding with Akos. Like, I kind of was... Like, I didn't really know what brought him around, ultimately. Um, Vakrez. Yeah. I know. I, I have no idea. He just, like, all of a sudden started helping him. And Ema, or whatever her name is, mm-hmm. I thought she was really interesting at the end. And we had seen her throughout, but I felt like... I don't... I just wanted to know more about some of these people. And the idea how she can, like... Sway someone's heart. Yeah, she can, like, change her loyalties. And I just, I feel like she was actually a really interesting character when you think about all she sacrificed Mm -hmm. and all she did. And I liked all the reveals we got about her and even some of her growth throughout the book. But I still felt like it wasn't quite enough. enough. But it's also interesting, like, the themes that they do raise in the book are all good ones. Like, um, the theme of manipulation is a huge one. Like, we've learned that Yama has been pretty much influencing everyone she comes up against in order to sway them a certain way. And Cece basically fully admits that she has been using her gift to um, persuade Isaiah to do certain things. And at the end, she wasn't even apologetic about it. She was like, I'm going to keep doing this because I can. And it's sort of like, it's like manipulation. If it's bad, it's like, oh, that's terrible. But manipulating for good. Yeah, like, no, but I agree. It like brought up these really interesting conflicts, but then it wasn't really like. They weren't really resolved. And even like Sifa. Echo's mother or um Sira's mother she was manipulative too and she had this knowledge of this fate that was going to happen that was really bad and like she made the decision to intervene and do everything she could to pull the string so it wouldn't happen so it's like if you do have that information would you react would you not like how far do you go and it does and it like most of these things it probably is a burden I like I get I think they kind of address that a little mm-hmm. bit like knowing is both a gift and a burden but I don't feel like we saw that conflict with her the same way I don't know yeah I just I think a lot of things were introduced and there were a lot of ideas I liked and there were even a lot of characters I was really interested in but there was just still something missing in bringing it to that level where I'd be like super highly recommend and I I mean I enjoyed it like I definitely got into it and read it quickly without feeling like I had to and there were things I really liked about it but it was hard for me to get through at the end I was just left feeling like I didn't get everything I was hoping Mm -hmm. for and the other thing that I didn't like was and I mean this is fine I I thought that Akos like you hit on it earlier when you said his whole intention was to save his brother and then he just kind of gave up Mm -hmm. I feel like there were so many instances where his actions betrayed his character, or at least what we were led to believe was his character. Like the scene where he betrays Jorik, yeah. and he just tells Lazmet that Jorik was the one who helped him for food. I was just like, I don't, that doesn't ring true with like what I, who I thought you were. And like, I didn't even buy the whole transition to my only goal now is to kill Lazmat. Like, if that was your only goal, then I understand sacrificing your friend or whatever. I kind of, but like. But he didn't even have to do it. And then not helping Sira. Like, he didn't have to betray Yorick. Yeah, I, I just, like, yeah, no, I agree. It literally accomplished nothing. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, I have to betray him in order to do X, Y, Z. It was just like. And even him leaving without saying goodbye again. I'm like, that never really made sense to me still. Yes, I get that you weren't just going to go hide at your house and you were in some weird way trying to protect her. Do you really think she wouldn't come after you? Yeah. Yeah. Or again, just keeping all these secrets from people is never good. You guys both could have come up with a plan to kill her dad. She would have been 100% on board with it, killing him. Yeah, and I guess she, he, his rationale was like, 
Well, she went behind my back to get me out of the arena and didn't tell me that she was doing that. But like, so what? Just because she did that doesn't mean that you get to do the same thing. Like, it doesn't mean it was a good idea. Yeah, if anything, because because you were so upset by it, maybe you shouldn't do that. Yeah. Oh, and then it, at the end when he wouldn't help her. I know. Like when Lazmet was forcing her to turn the blade on herself. I didn't really understand that either. Was he worried about hurting his new image? Like, did or did he not think she was going to? I don't know. That was kind of a weird point too. It was so weird because she, she was at a point where she was like, why isn't he helping me? And he was just like, there's no point. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, that is the worst answer. And I get that he had been, like, starved and all this stuff, but my goodness. There's no point. Like, I didn't understand that at all. Like, if he truly thought she was in danger, why did he just sit there? It doesn't make sense. Also, I'm surprised they touched on both of their kind of identity crisis after hearing that they weren't who they Mm -hmm. thought they were by blood. But I also feel like his mom, or what the Oracle mom, got a lot of grief for it. Mm-hmm. But the other mom was just as involved in switching out kids and raising... I don't... Like, I just... I kind of feel like... Sure. I mean, yes, she wasn't around, so maybe that was part of it. But, like, they both were... They both agreed... Decided to do it. Complessa, yeah. yeah. Complessa, yeah. I wish that, she, that the other mother had been alive. Because that could have added another layer of complexity that would have made it a bit more interesting. Well, it's just kind of sad that, like, the good dad and the good mom that we're kind of led <laughs> to believe are both gone. And yeah. now they, they each have a mom and a... Well, I guess now both dads are dead, but I don't know. It's just kind of like, well, good. <laughs> Your dad isn't actually dead. He's a terrible person. He's a psychopath. <laughs> yeah. I have good news and bad uh, news. Yeah. And I also, I even wanted to know more about Ryzik turning on the dad and how he ended oh, yeah. up capturing him and stuff. Like, I actually was pretty impressed that that happened. And it, me too. And it made me almost like him more, except, again, just not quite enough story or character development there to feel like... Was that a good move or was it a selfish move or was it a, I don't know. And what, yeah, and what was he thinking? Like, what would he hope to accomplish? Yeah, it would have been a cool scene to see Ryzak capturing him. And even asked, I feel like he could have been a really interesting, like, what was his, did we ever learn what his gift actually was? Was it that he could just tell other people's gift? He can just sense everyone's gifts, yeah. It's kind of like the young elites a little bit. Yeah. A lot of them are like the young yeah. elites. Um, yeah, and then at the end too, when like, Akos and Sira come back together and I like how they I did like how they had that one moment where they talk about the Shotet word for regret. Oh yeah. And how there's three words and one of them is one's for slights, one is like a regular apology, and then one is um one means what I did cut out a piece of me. Yep. I kind of liked that how there were like various levels of apologies based and regret based on how bad the hurt was. So mm-hmm. I like that they did kind of address that and he did apologize for doing nothing. But like, I mean, it, I don't, it would be hard to trust someone again after that. Yeah. And that quickly and that <laughs> with no explanation. When he completely didn't trust his brother or like none of yeah. them trusted Asia. Yeah. Yeah. It just didn't add up to me. And even, I don't know, I'm just like thinking of all these things now that aren't just making me mad. Okay. <laughs> so the Oracle's. All they did was manipulate or, like, they never did anything helpful with their future. No. (laughs) Like, I feel like at least one time they should have said something that helped somebody instead of only ever... Giving bad news. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe it's just the fates are really bad. Maybe. So I came up with a fate for you. Okay. Because we said, I think it was like the second episode, we were like, let's come up with fates for each other. Yeah. So I was thinking about... I mean, it's a pretty big responsibility. <laughs> it is. I Okay, so I just, I spent a while with James trying to come up with a fate for you. First of all, James, like, did not understand what we were doing at all. <laughs> and he kept saying really dumb things. Like, you should say, and he'd, like, say something you already do. And I'm like, that's not a fate because, I mean, it could have been if we said it 10 years ago. But it can't be already fulfilled. We're saying it now. <laughs> and then, what was the other thing he kept doing? Or he'd just say, like, I don't know. He was just being silly, and then it was making it hard for me to come up with one. So mine's really dumb for you, but you tell me. You can tell me yours first if you want. Okay. I, I thought of it, and then I was like, oh, I wish this was my fate instead. All right, your fate, Katie. Should you choose to accept it? <laughs> That's the thing, though. You can't choose. <laughs> and I was, like, looking through all the ones we read, and they were all, like, how you die. And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. No, yours does not involve death. Your fate is to become good friends with one of the authors of one of the series we've read. Ooh, I like it. And you won't know who, 
But one of the authors is going to become your friend. So your fate, well, the fate of the second child of the family, Calfee, <laughs> is to build a reputation with a capital R. Oh, my God. Through podcasting. So I don't know if that means you're going to get Taylor Swift on our podcast. Oh, that's what I was like. Am I going to Taylor Swift concert? For some reason, the word reputation had a capital R, so I think that means something. Um, James kept getting confused, too, when I said the second child. uh, He was like, why do you keep saying it like that? I'm like, that's all you have to say. You should have been the first child of the House Bradford. (laughs) But awesome. Okay, so we're going to basically be BFFs on our podcast with Taylor Swift and one of these authors is the moral of the story, I think. I'm going to the Taylor Swift concert on Friday and I'm very excited. I'm so jealous because I was later, supposed right? to be there with you, but yeah, but I'm going to go in August, so it's okay. Good. I'm so glad you at least get to go because that would have been a truly terrible fate. I really think it was already hard for me to schedule my surgery to prevent me from going, but I don't know if I would have done it if it meant no Taylor Swift at all. It might no. have had to wait. I, I fully support that choice. But I expect a full recount of okay. everything. I won't tell you too much, though, because I don't want to spoil it for you. Uh, it won't spoil it. I'll be in the hospital. I'll be on drugs, probably. I won't even That's remember. True. It's You'll all good. singing along to all the songs. <laughs> Coming out of anesthesia. It's uh, um, so actually, I don't know if I've told you this before, but James and I, when we were first picking a wedding date, we're thinking August 11th because that's our two year anniversary. And we just thought it'd be cool to get married on our anniversary. And it was a Saturday. And then we found out Taylor Swift was going to be in Atlanta that day. And we were like, actually, no. what if we just went to the concert? And we're like, OK, yeah. <laughs> he's a big yeah, fan, yeah. too. So <laughs> that's good. Much better. <laughs> OK, we had we had other things. Oh, wait, did you we do had other things? Yeah. The current gift. OK, yeah. So I t- we took we both took a quiz to see what current gift we have. OK, and I wasn't sure which quiz I was supposed to take. So I took two different quizzes. Oh, OK. I just took one and I got a real crap answer. What did you get? I have Cece's gift to oh. calm people. I got Akos's gift. You block oh. current gifts. Oh, can you come so, block my gift? <laughs> yeah, so, so I can just hold your hand all the time uh, and you can yell at people if you thank want. Thank God. Because as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, shh. Like, are you kidding me? I can't, I can't have an opinion. I can't cry. I can't do anything that makes anyone uncomfortable. It's a terrible gift. It is so interesting because I didn't really think of it as a terrible gift until we started seeing it from her perspective and realizing how limited she was. And then I totally agree with you. And I do think most of the gifts we did see pros and cons. You know, we saw both sides of them in a lot of ways. But it's kind of interesting to think about that. And if, would you really want any of these gifts? No. No. Well, I like that they finally acknowledge that that Sierra's gift is not a gift. You know, yeah, like she has yeah. that moment where she's like, this is total bullshit. Because that was so sad when her gift came back, when she uses her current gift to like um, block the uh, anti-current, whatever that was, the anti-current blast. Yeah. Okay. That part also confused me <laughs> now that we're talking about it. All of a sudden she was like, wait, why is that thing light? And then she was like, I have darkness on my skin, so it can probably, like, how did she even make that connection all of a sudden in that moment? I have no idea. She was just like, my gift isn't pain, it's the current. Like, she just was the current. Yeah, that was kind of weird. Yeah, that was a little weird. And I did feel really bad for her when the gift came back. I did too. That was sad. It was, yeah. She had, like, this moment of hope where she would be able to live without it and then... That's just devastating. That was like the saddest part of the book. And I mean, and I like that, that she acknowledged though, that it wasn't that she deserved pain Mm -hmm. or anything, but I still feel like it's not like we ever got a better explanation for like, why are, how do the gifts, I still don't get how they work or how they, because it, it seems somewhat related to who you are as a person, or maybe it's just that you develop so much based on your gift or something, but. Or is it just fate? Is there no rhyme or reason? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, maybe maybe it's not influenced by your personality. Maybe your personality ends up being influenced by... But I'm, I was trying to think of, like, other people, like Rysik, who wanted to get rid of certain memories or, like, not know mm-hmm. things, is then able to switch memories. Yeah. And Cece was supposedly pretty calming before she got the gift. Maybe non-confrontational, yeah. And Akos was kind of private and shy, and then he's, like, cut off from the current. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a good connection. Or I don't... I mean, like, so I don't really know. And, like, um, what Lazmat was just like an evil person and then he has an evil gift but I guess maybe it's a bad thing too I don't know and I also I wanted to know more honestly it kind of bothered me a little bit that we never really saw a good side of Lazmat because Mm -hmm. I don't like it I like it when we have kind of complicated villains where they're still a bad guy but like and I I do I felt like Ryzik was kind of a little bit complicated not quite complicated enough but Lazmat wasn't really at all 
And I feel like hearing more about how he and his wife interacted or fell in love or because she seemed like a good person and he seemed to really love her maybe he controlled her (gasps) that's what like I'm curious if she made him a better person or like if that was like I have a lot of questions about that relationship too I don't know maybe he manipulated her and and mind controlled her into marrying him and then maybe she killed herself maybe she maybe this is like inventing a whole different like fan (laughs) fiction story in my mind she found out that he was controlling her and then she used Sira to kill herself to end her suffering. But I don't think, because if she had any control over that, she would never have let her daughter believe that she killed her mom. That's true. No, That's you know. true. <laughs> good point. But I also would like to think that as a mom and a good mom, that she would have wanted her daughter to forgive herself, like known that her daughter didn't do it on purpose and was upset and trying to push off, yeah. you know, like that it wasn't like... It wasn't her fault. Yeah malicious like you know she wouldn't want her to blame herself for the rest of her life that's true but again we don't really know her so i don't know and akos even as a character still confuses me when they go back to like how he was private and shy and whatnot as a kid but then he like completely switched into this i mean he's still private but like strong i don't like i just he still doesn't really line up with who he was before before to me i agree and i think it's because we missed that those whole crucial three years when he was trained to become a soldier and I think, like, a mm-hmm. lot of stuff probably happened in those three years, but we didn't see any of it. So we just, like, see him on the other side, and he's a whole different person. And it's also kind of weird, because identity and where you belong was so much a part of it. I feel like he totally kind of abandoned the Thuves mm-hmm. people, whereas Sarah kind of did the opposite, and she really embraced being part of the Shotet group, even though she rejected her family or whatever. Mm-hmm. I just, I wanted something a little bit more than we got. Agreed. Did you do any research this week? I did a couple of small things. I looked up, so when they went back in the final scene back to Akos's hometown, and he was like hoping the soldiers would freeze to death on their way to the mm-hmm. temple, I looked up how to survive in cold weather because okay. he was talking about different things they were doing. And then I also looked up some surprising natural pain relief methods. Oh, interesting. Okay, well that kind of ties in, the first one kind of ties into mine. Because I researched the coldest inhabited cities in the world. Ooh, tell me more about that. I can tell you really briefly some overviews, and then you can tell me about where you might run into them most likely. So severe cold will affect your body negatively in three kind of key ways. One is frostbite, one is hypothermia, and one is hypoglycemia. Mm. So frostbite is when the water molecules in your skin cells freeze. Ooh. And once they freeze, they usually, or they die pretty quickly. Yeah. And once they die, there's irreversible damage to your muscular nervous systems. Yikes. And wind can make that a lot worse. Oh. So I think it just because it higher wind speeds can make frostbite happen at lower, mm-hmm. I, I mean, love, at yeah. higher temperatures yeah. or whatever. So frost nip is sort of the early warning sign. And generally, you just want to like rewarm the area if you're able to. And they say one of the warmest places on your body is your armpits. So, mm-hmm. like, if your tips of your fingers are cold, like, stick them in your armpits. I had a friend in Chicago who got the precursor to frostbite. That's scary. I know. It was, like, during that winter, whatever they call it, like the... Snowmageddon or something. Or Yeah, it was, like, during Snowmageddon in Chicago. And um, it was, I think it was negative 40-something, like, negative 45. And she, her feet got, like, um, the precursor to frostbite. That's mm-hmm. so scary. I remember re- or hearing something that was like, if you're outside for four minutes with unexposed skin, you could start mm-hmm. to develop frostbite. And I was like, I can't Three go minutes, to work. Yeah. I can't go to work because I have to wait for the bus that long. Like, Yeah, I know. I guess I'm staying home today. I used to have to wear ski pants to go to my office. Ski pants and like, um, like your entire face had to be covered. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, it's an absolute nightmare in the winter here. Yeah. I miss it in the summer, but... In the winter, I'm glad I'm I'm out of there. Yeah, don't blame you. Um, Chicago's not on the list of my coldest places on earth. What? <laughs> yeah, oh, not even close. <laughs> um, basically, hypothermia, I think we've talked about before when we talked about falling through the ice, but your core body temperature drops and your organs start to shut down. And it, um, one of the worst things that can happen in that case is if you get wet and extremely cold, you, your hypothermia will sink in quicker. Mm. And... You have to stay fueled to avoid hypoglycemia. So Oh, so like you have to eat? Yeah. So in general, when you're cold, your body tries to warm itself by shivering. That's one of the things it does, which is like a huge waste mm-hmm. of energy, I think. And so 
you need to eat like a lot of carbohydrates and or or oh, maybe okay. carbohydrates are really bad. You have to eat something. I didn't re- I didn't read this part very carefully. <laughs> We're not. You sure should either what eat, eat lots of carbohydrates or no carbohydrates. No, I think you eat a lot of them because I think you lose a lot of carbohydrates. Yeah, <laughs> that would make um, more sense. But but yeah, I mean, I can talk more about it. But there wasn't anything especially really interesting. But you want your clothing to be cold. There's an acronym cold to help you remember appropriate clothing. So you want it to stay clean. That's what the C Mm. stands for. You want to avoid overheating. That's what the O stands for. Because when you overheat, you sweat. And And that freezes. Yeah. You want things, the L stands for loose or layered clothing. And I don't actually know what the D was. (laughs) This isn't a very good article. I would, (laughs) don't eat carbs. No, or maybe eat lots of carbs. Donuts. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Donuts. But yeah, you want to cover exposed areas, maintain your heart rate, try to be sheltered. And they talked about like different things you could keep in your survival kit. <laughs> so everyone should go out and buy one of those. Uh, what You know that material that, that was designed by NASA that like it's the Tac Bivy. I don't know if that's a, a brand or the actual material, but it like reflects back most of your body heat like 90% oh. or something so it'll keep you warm longer so oh, and it like folds that. up really small so you can just like stick it in your backpack in your survival I backpack I need that for my whole face yeah in chicago yeah. <laughs> well do you want to hear about some of the coldest places on earth yeah places where you need to be concerned about these things yes <laughs> so i guess it's agreed upon that the coldest place on earth that is inhabited by people is omicron which is in russia it's like in the Arctic Circle in Siberia. How many people are there? 500. Okay, wow. So it's a teeny tiny village. The record for the um, lowest temperature recorded was negative 98 degrees Fahrenheit in 2013. Oh my Can you goodness. imagine? What do they even, what do they do there? Like, what, so, uh, what do um, they do? There's videos. Actually, I started I started following an Instagram account that's all about this town because it's so fascinating. And it, it's like there's they still ride bikes, they still go swimming, they still go about their business. There's one school. How how warm does it get in um, the summer? Okay, so the average high in July is 72 degrees Fahrenheit. But oh my goodness! But high in July. May the months of May. In September, the high is 48 degrees Fahrenheit. So oh, I would never imagine? live there. So they say that like eyelashes freeze, frostbite is a constant danger. So they can't have, they can't leave their car um, off. Like they have to leave their car idling while ever they're not using it because the battery just dies instantly. Um, so oh they have goodness. to keep their cars constantly running. And they also, the ground is, is so cold that I'll, like they can't have pipes underground because the pipes will freeze so a lot of um, families have outdoor bathrooms no um they said that it's dark 21 hours a day in the winter time so like i mean like so what what do they do in this like what's their how do they make money like what is do they have like a do they is there like something the village is known for that or is there like a company no, there? Or do I they... honestly have no idea. They said that, um, so this, they have a school and it only closes if the weather, if the temperature drops below 53 degrees. So kids go to school when it's that cold out. And they said the winter diet is mostly meat-based, sometimes eaten raw or frozen due to the inability to grow crops in the, in the frigid temperatures. Yeah. Wow. And some of the regional specialties include raw frozen fish, reindeer meat, raw frozen horse liver, and ice cubes of horse blood with macaroni. Ice cubes of horse blood sounds disgusting. I don't know if I would eat that. Ooh. So they said that like if they have to do something like dig a grave, they the ground has to be like warmed with a fire first to break into it. Can you imagine like going on a beach vacation from there? You know oh how like God, it's nice yeah. to get away from Chicago and go to the beach? You'd be like so it would be like such a shock for your system. <laughs> you get an instant migraine. So the other town um, that is actually quite close to Oymukon is called Yakutsk. And I had cool. to look up all these names. <laughs> what? You didn't just know how to <laughs> say all these? Uh, okay. I can't pronounce any names, so I'll, I'll just accept whatever you say. So there are 200,000 people who live in Yakutsk. 
And that is usually declared the co- the coldest city in the world, um, just because it has more people. Yeah. The temperature is below freezing from September through May, and it reaches temperatures as low as negative 81.4 degrees. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really do cold. And some of these places are covered in snow about 250 days of the year. So it's just like, I just can't, I cannot imagine. Because, I mean, I, I live in Chicago. So, like, it's not like I'm from Arizona. You know, hey, like, I get hey. it. <laughs> I always forget you're from Arizona. <laughs> but you live in Chicago, too. So I you did, get it yeah. as well. And, and honestly, Arizonans have their whole have other it, own. set of issues. But you're on the other end of the spectrum. I did, for four years, I did Chicago winters and Arizona summers. So there's definitely something wrong with me. Um, oh, God. But, but yeah. Yeah. But it's not like, like, we can imagine living in cold. To, like, we have, we, it's not completely foreign concept. But, wow, that is, I cannot imagine being in cold that cold that long even like i remember when it was like negative 40 degree and maybe that's an exaggeration maybe it was like negative 20 with a wind chill of like negative 40 in chicago and i remember crying one day because i was walking home and i had like an almost mile walk to get home and i was so cold that i was just like crying because it was so painful yeah and And i mean twice that much it would be twice as cold and thinking of the sun also just bothers me like if I don't see the sun for days at a time, I get, mm-hmm. I, I think I have seasonal affective disorder or whatever it's called, where you need sunlight to yeah, be happy. function. But hearing about how cold and dark, like that's like, it would just make me miserable. And not having anything to look for, because Chicago, I love the summer so much, it got me through all the mm-hmm. winters. It really does. And if you don't even have that, a few months of really amazing weather, I don't know what I would do. I would just cry all year round. <laughs> Um, when you were talking about sun, mm-hmm. so I was reading also about Barrow, Alaska, which is home to 5,000 people, and it's the coldest city in the United States. Mm-hmm. So in Barrow, Alaska, and I, I was completely mind-boggled by this because I didn't think this was possible. Apparently, the sun sets in November and doesn't rise again until the end of January. Yeah, that's crazy. So these people don't see sun for 67 days. And in July, the high is 48 degrees. Yeah. No, I'm, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> like, I'm like such a wimp just... about being cold or being hot. Like I kind of have a, it's a pretty big window where I'm comfortable, but once I get cold or hot, it's like all I can think about is how hot or how cold I am. Yeah. Game over. Yeah. So I, we definitely wouldn't do well in Barrow, Alaska because there's just no sun. And then in the summer, you just get 80 days of uninterrupted daylight where it's like midnight and it's broad daylight. You know what's funny? Because I feel like I read so many books and I'm always like into these people who go on adventures and take all these risks mm-hmm. and do all this cool stuff. But I feel like in my real life, I spend most of my time reading books. So I don't have any of that <laughs> metal or whatever. <laughs> I like wouldn't function in a lot of them. I need like a very forgiving environment. You would have great theory on what to do. Yeah. You know, in theory could, we could do this. I don't know. And I guess I've, I'm not giving myself quite enough credit. But I mean, I spent three weeks in the Alaskan wilderness and I just remember crying because not even like, too, it wasn't even an emotional response. It was just like a physical response to what I was doing. <laughs> like I wasn't, it wasn't even like I was upset. Oh, no. It was just my body was like... I can't do this anymore. Oh, no. It was like the weirdest experience. It's a long time. Three weeks is a long time. But now I look back on it. Like, I think I was miserable while I was there. I call it second degree fun because now I like brag about it. And I'm like, oh, it was such a cool experience. But I think while I was doing it, I was like, this is the worst idea I've ever had. (laughs) And people just see your Instagram account and they were like, oh, she's having so much fun. And you're like, I'm eating frozen (laughs) horse blood. Exactly. Um, okay, so the absolute coldest place on Earth that is not inhabited, thank God, is in Antarctica. The lowest recorded temperature was negative 133.6 degrees. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine? I mean, obviously not. I can't even imagine. So they say no. humans at that temperature can only survive for three minutes. So then what kills you? Uh, probably hypothermia. Yeah, I said. That... yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they said a wind chill. Oh, okay. So a wind chill of just minus fifty degrees Fahrenheit can cause frostbite in five minutes. Yikes. Yeah, that's what that's what I was saying too about the wind, though. Mm-hmm. So I had a little chart, but now I can't find it that told you temperature and wind speed and how long you could be outside or have exposed skin oh, or whatever. Oh God. 
I don't even want to think about it. It's finally summer here, mm-hmm. so I can put away my winter coat for another year, for another three, two months. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we already have a fan name for this series that we came up with in the first half of the first book, which is a record for us. We're going to be the fate favored. I don't even think we've ever come up with one in the first No, we're always like struggling at the last minute like to find something that fits. And now that we have fates, it makes even more sense. Yeah. Um, so do we want to give the book a rating? Yeah. Out of how many Ooh. How many? Families? How many How many hush flowers? Okay. Out, out of, of ten. ten. Um, I think I'd give it a six. Ooh. I'm giving it a four. I'm being harsh. Okay. I can't get. I don't want to give anything a five because I feel like five's a non-answer. So I think I kind of agree. A little bit more. It's less than half, and I went. It's just a little bit more than half. Fair. And I honestly don't even have a favorite scene that I want to see. I guess like we talked about this a little bit last week, but in this last half of the book, I guess what like the current the anti-current blast would be a cool scene when like the sky goes dark, and she uses her mm-hmm. current to like it leaves her and goes into the sky. That that would be kind of cool to see in a movie. So I was thinking, this is actually from the first book, but a scene that I think would be cool would be when they leave the castle the first time, um, Sierra and Akos, and they're like in disguise and they go and see the storyteller and they're like walking through the oh, markets yeah. and everyone's like celebrating and decorated and all, like I think that would, and then the blue rain. Oh yeah. Or whatever. I think that scene would be what I would pick from the whole series, but I don't have something specific from the second book. I like that one. I don't think they'll make this into a movie. I, I mean... I think it'd be a confusing movie, especially because <laughs> there's, like, not a lot of action necessarily, or a lot right. of it's, like, drawn out and, like, happening in multiple places. I, I don't think it would necessarily translate super well to film. I agree. But I still... There's a lot of things I liked about the writing. Like, I'm still really into Veronica Roth. Did you ever read um, the Divergent conclusion Oh, no. Thing? I meant to. It's, a, it's at the end of this book, so I will. Okay, I need to See, download I didn't it even like the, I mean, I didn't even like the writing style that much. I thought it was odd that um, Sierra's chapters were in first person, Akos's chapters were in third person, and then Asia's were in we form, which makes sense. I get that. But I just didn't see a point in, like, if you're labeling a chapter with the person's name, just, just make it in first person. Like, why do you have to make it in third person? And, like, that flip-flopping. Whoa, I, like, didn't even realize that as Yeah, much. like, the flip-flopping irritated me. I think I realized that at the beginning of the first book, but I didn't really realize it as much when I was... That must have been also why I kept getting confused about when Akos was talking, because he yeah. was he regardless. Like, I don't get the choice to mix up first person, third person. To me, it just... And, and I'm sure she has a reason for it, but... Yeah, either, either someone else is telling the story or someone... Yeah. I wouldn't say it's, like, the most amazing writing I've ever seen, but I was... There were enough things about it that I liked that I would still be interested if she wrote a new series to read it. Okay, so yeah, would you read a sequel? Maybe not in this world. I wouldn't. <laughs> but I think I would read another se- Because I still like Divergent a lot too. And there were things in this that I really liked. And I feel like she's still relatively young. So I think she's... Yeah, that's I mean, true. She'll write Divergent more, was like sure. her first book ever, I think. So like I think that she's still probably developing as an author and stuff and I think there was a lot of really cool ideas here I just think they needed to be explored more so I think I'd give her another chance unless it got like bad reviews and whatnot then I maybe would give her another chance it's not like anything she writes I would definitely read but I I wouldn't be opposed to it just because of this book or anything are there any um short stories that you'd like to see um I mean like a lot of that stuff that I was talking about about some of these characters whose points of view we didn't really see as much like his mom Mm -hmm. or something even beforehand like when she was making the decision to trade her children um I feel like asked would have been an interesting character to get more information about his history with Isaiah would would have been cool um Jorick I think Yorick yeah Yeah. or Yorick he I thought he was kind of interesting um the lady on the planet who's teaching Akos how to make oh yeah the potions I kind of feel like she's got to have an interesting backstory um mm-hmm. I don't know I feel like there were a lot I mean I, I think in general just because I felt like there wasn't enough character development if there was more if it was a character story a short story that's what I'd, I there's not like a lot of events I want to explain but like more of the care like just understanding the characters a little bit better I agree I want to see the missing three years when Akos was first oh, yeah. kidnapped um yep. And I want to see 
I also would like to see more of Yama, like when she made that decision to turn her husband in because he was terminally ill. And she was like, you know, they knew he was going to die. So they made the decision to turn him in just to um, to get her close to Lazmat or Ryzak, yeah. I guess. I think it would be interesting, too, with a lot of these characters, if you were doing a story about them, to be there when their current gift is first revealed, Ooh, yeah. like when it first comes about. Because it seems like um, for most people, it hits when you're like, you know, in your teens mm-hmm. or I guess uh, Sierra's hit when she was like six or eight or something ridiculously young. But you're, you're kind of already developed into a certain amount of your personality and then you get this new ability that you don't really understand yet and how it affects yeah. you and how you develop it and how it like I think all that stuff is stuff is really interesting. And her gift especially, I would love to see, you know, how who she was maybe before and how it kind of has played a role in her life at these different key stages. But Well, do we want to talk about our next book that we're reading on the podcast? Yes, we do. I'm really excited about this. Okay. Have you heard a lot about it? No, but I read the description and it sounds awesome. <laughs> of course, when it's not my turn to read the back of the book is when I actually read the description. I was going to say, I haven't read it yet, so hopefully I can pronounce everything. But um, <sighs> this one is a duology, right? Yep. So we're going to read Flame in the Mist, and it's a duology by Renee Adia. Has she written other stuff, or do we know anything about her? Renee Adia, she wrote The Wrath and the Dawn. Have you read that? Yes, I actually did. Okay. Um, well, actually, I read the first one. I read The Wrath and the Dawn. I didn't read the sequel which is called The Rose and the Dagger. So that is a duology um, that she wrote. The last one came out in 2016. And this one, part of the reason why we picked it is because the second book is just about to come out, although by the time we publish this, it will have come out already. Yeah. Um, So the second book is relatively new. It's coming out June 5th. So maybe she'll go on tour and we'll finally get to meet one of these authors. And my fate will be fulfilled when we become best friends. Yes! Maybe this, maybe Renee Adia will be the one you become best friends with. Okay, you ready for me to read? Yes. So I actually haven't bought the book yet, I'll admit, because we ran through this so fast and there were only two books and it threw me off completely. So I'm reading the Amazon description. Go for it. The daughter of a prominent samurai, Mariko has long known her place. She may be an accomplished alchemist whose cunning rivals that of her brother Kenshin... But because she is not a boy, her future has always been out of her hands. At just 17 years old, Mariko is promised to Minamoto Raiden, the son of the emperor's favorite consort, a political marriage that will elevate her family's standing. But en route to the imperial city of Inako, Mariko narrowly escapes a bloody ambush by a dangerous gang of bandits known as the Black Clan, who she learns has been hired to kill her before she reaches the palace. Whoa. Crazy. Dressed as a peasant boy, Mariko sets out to infiltrate the Black Clan and track down those responsible for the target on her back. Once she's within their ranks, though, Mariko finds for the first time she's appreciated for her intellect and abilities. She even finds herself falling in love, a love that will force her to question everything she's ever known about her family, her purpose, and her deepest desires. Sounds a little Mm. Mulan-esque. I know. It does sound a little bit like Mulan. I just love the idea of everything that you just read. (laughs) I think this will be good. And I'm excited to see like a new kind of world. Yeah. Which we always see all of our series, I feel like have been very different in that sense. But. I wonder if this will be, if this will actually take place in what we know as Japan or if it will be a second world fantasy that is um, inspired by Japan. Yeah. Like how, if it's, yeah. That will be interesting Re- to find out. Our world Japan or not. We might have to do more research on samurai. I'm okay with that. Me too. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm an expert yet, so... <laughs> <laughs> We still have a thing or two to learn. There might be a couple of new things we could gather. <laughs> and we're going to read up to the chapter Hanami. It's about, it's about halfway through. So when you get to that chapter, don't read that chapter. Stop when you get to Hanani. Ha- Hanami. This one looks like it's a pretty big book. It's a, oh No, no mine looks like it's 400 pages. Okay. 400 pages. I saw some. The Lexile measure is 720. I don't know what that is. A lexile measure represents either an individual's reading ability or the complexity of a text. Oh, so it's like how how long it is based on how fast you read. Or like how complicated of a read it is. Yeah, because they do that in Kindle. They'll okay. be like, you have an hour and two minutes left in this book, and it's based on like how fast you read. So 
I'm like so competitive and so numbers focused <laughs> that sometimes that stuff's like really like I focus too much on like trying to beat my time than I do on like trying to understand. What I'm <laughs> That's another reason why I can't do Kindle. Because even with books, I like am constantly calculating the percent I've read. That is really And funny. it doesn't tell me at the bottom of the page, but I feel like if it was there all the time, I'd be You'd like... be in constant competition with yourself. <laughs> it's like, you know, when you have those apps that'll tell you how long it'll take you to get somewhere in the car, and it almost looks like a video game, mm-hmm. I like have to remind myself that I'm driving a car, and I <laughs> need to focus on <laughs> driving safely, but, uh, but yeah. Okay, well, time to say goodbye to Carve the Mark, but I'm really excited for this new series. Me too. Um, is it my turn for a joke or your turn? It is your turn. Okay. This is just a joke, a dad joke. It doesn't really relate to anything else. I'm glad you reminded me because I forgot about the joke too. I forgot that we were going to announce the next series <laughs> this time. I forgot the name of the book we were actually reading. Well, I We've forgot... been doing this for a year and a half and I'm still forgetting everything. I forgot the fate thing. Yeah. Be- oh, beginner's luck the gosh. first 55 episodes. and <laughs> Okay. So maybe you'll get this joke, though. Who knows? I doubt it. Why do bees stay in their hives during winter? Because they're hive-burnating. Swarm. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like it went along with, like, cold weather. That's really good. (laughs) It kind of connects. It was the only – I told James, like, four jokes earlier this week, and this is the only one he actually laughed at. So that's the one that you you get to hear. Oh, thank you for that. All right. You want to tell people how to get in touch with sure. us? Sure. Um, if you want to send us a note, you can send us an email at mnktalkya at gmail.com. Uh, the and is spelled out. And if you want to follow along on Instagram and Facebook, we can be found at mnktalkya. And we post a lot of pictures of books, our dogs, um, things that we're reading. So if you like bookstagram accounts, we would love if you would follow ours. And we also have a website, mnktalkya.com. Awesome. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.